So uh, last week for the announcement video, they said, hey, you should do this song, You've Got a Friend in Me. So I did the Randy Newman version of the song, You've Got a Friend in Me, if y'all remember last week. And then this week was the right one. They were like, no, dummy, not that one. The James Taylor one. So if you're wondering what the this music's about. How are y'all doing? I feel a little inclined to apologize to the visitors. Hey, if you're visiting today, I'm sorry about the chairs. Like, it's a little uncomfortable sitting so close to people you don't know, you know? So if you want me to say they're not weird, I'm not going to say that. They're weird. Um, but if you too are weird, you're going to fit in. If you're not weird, you'll find very quickly, this is not the church for you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, um, you know, it, it's crazy. Our church keeps growing. As you you just saw, there's three services now. It turns out if a if a church will just preach the truth and not back away from the tough stuff and love each other, that the church will grow. Isn't that weird? It's so weird. Let me tell you how weird it is. It's like all throughout the Bible. So um, <laughs> welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I really am. I'm genuinely glad you're here. Um, Jessica asked me not to talk about this, about volunteering. So that's why I'm going to start with talking about this, about volunteering. So um Whenever you, whenever you go to your job throughout the week, your, your boss puts this weight on you. and There's expectations that you have to do this and you have to do that. And what he gives you in return for you fulfilling those expectations is a paycheck. And you get to go and you take that paycheck and you spend that money, right? That's how life works. Whenever you volunteer, you don't get a paycheck. You get something that's far more valuable, because your paycheck, you spend it, it's gone. Your, your volunteering, your serving time is, is that the, what the reward for that is not a paycheck. It is eternal treasures that moth or rust cannot destroy. It is, it is for you forever. So whenever we, it's, it's difficult for us to put weight on volunteers because, you know, you're not, you're not getting paid. Actually, you're getting paid way more. So I just want, that's why Jessica's mean to y'all. It's because she's not really mean to, she's not mean to anyone. We, we really appreciate our volunteers. We, we love you guys. And um, there's also opportunities to serve in Life Kids. So <clears throat> um, uh, what I realized as I was putting the message together this week, it's like, you know, we've had a lot of people join us in the last two or three months. I had somebody, some, uh, a couple start asking me questions. They're just basic questions. Like, what do you guys believe about this? What do you believe about that? I, I looked on the website, but I didn't find the answer to that. Listen, if you have any questions, in the last three months, we've had a bunch of people join us. And, and maybe you, you don't know the answer to the questions. Like, what do you guys stand for? What are you about? What do you believe about some specific questions? What do you believe about gay marriage? What do you believe about uh, the, the, the gender transitions for kids especially? What do you believe about those things? Look, if you have questions, ask me. Randy at LifeChurchNB.com. Randy at LifeChurchNB.com. You can email me. And I will answer your questions. And if it's a dumb question, I'll probably put that in the answer. <laughs> hey, dumb question, but here you go. You know, but I'm going to say it in a nice way. And you're going to laugh. And you're like, he called me dumb. It's so funny. <laughs> and it's fine. Like, it's fine, right? I don't really think you're dumb. I had a coach that was, he was so nice. You know how coaches, high school coaches are real nice people. And my coach was like, listen, guys, there's no such thing as a dumb question. There's only dumb people that ask questions. <laughs> Thanks, coach. <laughs> It makes me feel good. So uh, one of the ways that prevents us from growing too big for the building is we do this culture update every week. 
So I'm going to talk about a couple of things that uh, that from the culture. Um, uh, war in Iran. We are entering into, yet again, another war. Do you remember in 2019 when the current administration said, let's let the, let's just let the adults back in the room? Because they were, because, you know, the previous administration was not adults and this administration is adults. I'm just a personal opinion here. I'm not sure the adults are in the room. I don't think the adults were in the room before. I don't think the adults are in the room now. And I don't think what's next is going to be much adulty either. Okay. So um, the what's crazy to me is the uh, Biden will go on to the news and he'll say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bomb this area at this time. So we're going to get them. And then they, they do this crazy thing where they do exactly what they said they were going to do. I don't know how war works for sure. But I don't think that's how it works. Like, you're not going to sneak up on someone. And so they knew what was going to happen. That doesn't, to me, that doesn't feel like the adults are in the room. That feels like, the, I don't know what, it's like a machine. Look, it's election time. Let's go to war again so that we can get a bunch of money from, and this is both sides do this. I'm not picking a side here. Let's get a bunch of money. Um, let's get our, our, the people that donate to us to get a bunch of money. So by going to war. And they, we will get these defense contractors will get to gain a lot of money. Look, the answer is not in our government. I feel like that deserved more amen. <clears throat> the answer is not there. Like, so we're going to have to look somewhere else. Another thing that happened this week, this guy, Michael Cassidy, he's a Christian veteran who decapitated a satanic shrine on display in the Iowa State Capitol building, has been charged with a hate crime. He said he was doing it to awaken Christians to the anti-Christian acts promoted by our government. There are two ways to look at this. The first way is the constitutional legal way to look at it. The Baphomet display, while grotesque, is a religious expression and thus protected by the First Amendment, freedom of religion. Um, it was private property, even though it was on a public, a public space, a government building, it was still private property. Cassidy's, Cassidy's destruction of private property is vandalism, but because that was a religious expression, that becomes a hate crime when it's when it was destroyed. That's one way. That's a legal way to look at it. It's he was violating someone's First Amendment uh, right to um, to religiously express themselves. Another way to look at it is that as a follower of Jesus and a child of the Most High God, Cassidy had a duty to stand against the evil. The Baphomet is the embodiment of evil. If you don't know anything about that, please look it up. You will find out it is the embodiment of evil. Being, and it was, this was being displayed in a government building, which implies the consent of the people that are being governed, that they're giving consent to, to this satanic, um, this evil spiritual thing. And so he said, um, I had to destroy that thing because uh, the Baphomet display is, is a, for me, I felt like this is a, a, religious, um, a religious exercise for me. I had to do what I felt was right. And so I had to go in there, I had to decapitate the thing and knock it down. And as a result of, of persecuting him for doing what he feels like is right by his religion, the government's actually for, uh, performing a hate crime against him. Are they? So here, here, l let, me, let me make this a little, a little muddier for you because you feel like, oh, I'm the second one. That's the right one. Okay. Because I want to find out where you stand. 
do you stand with this is what the the constitution is what the law says or do you stand with this is what i believe the bible says so if if the government is overstepping by by um not allowing him to express himself by what he believes is his religious right to do what do we do when and this will happen in our country soon when a muslim who is uh, just a sold out, the kind of uh, Christian I'm asking you to be is a sold out believer who will align every part of their life with the word of God and they will do everything that the Bible tells them to do, but not kind of, wholeheartedly. So what do we do when a Muslim who is living out Sharia law actually kills an infidel? Because that's what the, that, the type of Christian I'm calling you to be, that's, if they're a Muslim, that's what they're going to do. They're going to live out uh, Sharia law, and they're going to murder an infidel. You know who infidels are, right? All of y'all. So what, what are we going to do if we say, yes, it's their right to express their, themselves in their religious beliefs? What are we going to do when, when a Muslim kills a Christian for living out their religious beliefs? You can't decide that way. So, uh-oh. Like I thought I was on the second one, but maybe not. Here's what, here's what I'll do. Listen, you're going to have to come to figure out how are you going to respond when that happens? Because that is going to happen. The darkness that is, that has been clouding our, our land, that has been clouding our country, clouding our world. That darkness is more and more making itself visible to people that used to be that the people that understood that something demonic was going on were people that had eyes to see and ears to hear, and they understood what was going on. Now, it's people that don't have eyes to see are starting to see demonic things, and they're like, what is going on here? They don't know. They don't have anyone to interpret for them what is actually happening. Guess what your job is? To interpret for them what is actually happening here. So, you have a responsibility, sold-out Christian believer to understand the word and know what it is that we should do as the people of God and know what it is that whenever we see some demonic things happening, like in the Miami mall, whenever you see things like that happening, you can tell your neighbors, Hey, look, this is actually a spiritual thing that's happening because as the days get darker and as we go forward, it, you're going to have to answer that. You're going to have to know exactly how you should respond when someone decapitates a satanic statue in a government building. You're going to have to know what to say. Let me tell you what I do. I wait for the Holy Spirit to speak. And then I say that thing. And I know for sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that whenever I have to speak on that, that he is going to give me the exact right words to use. And we have to be people that are led by the Holy Spirit. And we are, we are sold out to do whatever it is that he tells us to do and say whatever it is that he tells us to say, even if our opinion does not line up with that thing. When it's truth, we change our opinion. We don't change the truth, right? Are y'all with me? Okay, that's the end of the culture update. Previously on the Gospel of John, uh, we are. This is the <clears throat> this is the seventy eighth message on the Gospel of John. I know that you think like that sounds funny, like right? It sounds like hyperbole, like ha seventy eight, good one. No, really, this is the seventy eighth message we've been in. The Gospel of John for a couple of years now, and it's fantastic. I love it. Everyone loves it. It's great. It's great. Everyone loves it. So, we've just gone through the night when that was not uh, an impression of anyone. I just watched it. We've just gone through the night when Jesus was arrested, and now we're in the early hours of the morning. 
Today we're going to do John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40. Everybody have your Bibles ready? People don't bring Bibles to church, you weirdos. <clears throat> it's okay. It's going to be on the screen, but you should have a Bible. I mean, you have to bring a paper Bible. You have your Bible on your phone? You should have. If you don't have the Bible on your phone, then you probably don't have a smartphone. If you have a smartphone, you don't have the Bible on your phone? Get the Bible on your phone. You said you were a Christian. I mean, you maybe didn't, but I'm just going to assume. So uh, this is the first trial before Pilate. In the Gospel of John, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, those are called synoptic Gospels. Those are kind of, they overlap a whole bunch. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have like John over here. John's, John, the reason John doesn't kind of line up perfectly is because the Gospel of John was written 30 years later. And John kind of fills in a lot of the gaps that the other Gospels didn't cover. So um, Jesus is actually has a few trials before, uh, before being crucified. And he was on trial first before Annas. And then Annas is, Annas is the godfather of, he's known as the godfather of the high priest. You want me to do a godfather impression? I'm making off of your killer food. That's so sad. Y'all are so easily entertained. <clears throat> I keep telling Jessica that I'm funny and she's not buying it. I'm like, look, everyone laughs. She's like, hey, you're not funny. It's crazy. The, the, the woman that I want most to think I'm funny and I want most to impress, she is completely not entertained by me at all. She does not think I'm funny. She actually routinely tells me, it's like, you're not funny. I don't know why you think you're funny. It's like the people, the church. <clears throat> so Annas sent uh sent jesus to caiaphas and then uh caiaphas is the actual high priest that is in charge right now the, this politician and then jesus faced an official jewish trial before uh caiaphas and he uh, and the sanhedrin which is the, the jewish high council and then uh john didn't record the trial before caiaphas he kind of just mentions it and then caiaphas sends jesus to Pilate, and that's kind of where we pick up the story now with Pilate. so it says then they led jesus from caiaphas to the praetorium the Praetorium is the uh, the commander's tent, um, and a uh, it's like in a Roman fort. The commander's tent is called the Praetorium, um, and so it says. And then, uh, and it was early in the morning. If you remember from last week, there's a way we can know it's early in the morning. Remember last week how we ended? Peter denied Jesus three times, and then right after the third time, we we heard something. The rooster crowed, and that's how we know it's early in the morning because the only time that roosters ever crow is early in the morning, right? No, it's so not true. Well, I had an aunt that lived in Kilgore. She's out in the country and it was like, and it, I went and visited. I think I was like 13 or something. And she, the first night I woke up and she's like, what woke you up? And I said, those stupid roosters crowing at the, at the break of dawn. And I was like, and she said, no, 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 no. Those things crow all day. And I said, no, they don't. <laughs> yes, they do. Anybody have neighbors that has roosters? Yeah, they crow all the time. So early in the morning, even though the the uh, the cornflakes box tells you that the rooster only crows at the anyway, this other way. So it says that they may eat the Passover. This is so so. There were some rules concerning the celebration of the Passover. These uh, these religious people had to be clean in order to participate in the Passover. And if they went into a Gentile's house a Gentile being the Roman, the, the Praetorium, the Pilate's house, then they were no longer clean, so they wouldn't be able to participate in the Passover. 
And so they did not want to be contaminated and they didn't want to be unclean. So they didn't want to go in there. Do you see the irony here? They didn't want to miss out on the Passover. Jesus was the actual fulfillment of the Passover. The Passover is this, um, it, it's, it's um, like a prophetic event that happens. It's, it's how the Passover was how God delivered the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. And so each family would take this innocent, perfect, unblemished lamb, and they would sacrifice the lamb, and they would take the blood of that lamb, and they would wipe it on their doorposts. And then in the evening, when the angel of death came by, the, their houses were spared because of the blood of the perfect lamb that they sacrificed. And so here's Jesus. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. And these guys are like this, this perfect sacrifice who would save us from death. The first time we hear John and Jesus interact in the Gospel of John, it says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. We, whenever we sprinkle Jesus' blood on our hearts, not physically, but metaphorically, we too are the sting of death is removed from us and we are free from our sin. He takes away our sin. So death no longer has its, its um, uh, dominion over us. We no longer fear death. And First Corinthians, Paul said, for indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The Passover was not only an actual event that happened in Egypt, in ancient Egypt, but the Passover was a, was a prophetic event that this other lamb will be sacrificed and that other lamb is paints this beautiful picture of the Messiah that would come and be sacrificed. The lamb of God who would take away the sins of, of the world. So these religious men were blinded by their own religion. And they were concerned about their religious Passover when the actual Passover lamb was right before them. They were completely self-deceived. It's, it's like, have, have any of you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand, Grand Canyon. I went to the Grand Canyon. When you stand at the rail of the Grand Canyon and you look at this massive beauty, it literally will take your breath away. You're like, Ugh. wow, it is so beautiful. Can you imagine? These, these Pharisees are like, they're going to the Grand Canyon and they're looking at pictures of the Grand Canyon on their phone. Like, can you imagine standing at the rail and they're like, wow, the Grand Canyon is really beautiful. And it's right there. The real thing is right there. Jesus is the Passover lamb. They had this like completely blind religion. There was this lady in the 1920s and 30s. Her name was Florence Foster Jenkins. And this lady, absolutely, she was a soprano and she loved to sing. She especially loved to sing these like great operatic songs. And uh, she inherited some money when she was in her 50s. So what she would do so that everyone could come and hear her sing was she would rent out the Ritz-Carlton and then she would sell tickets to it so that people could come and hear her sing in the, in the 30s and 40s. And, and here, let me give you a little clip of what she sounded like. Isn't that beautiful? It's like visiting to me in your work. Now, got all the words of that right. You remember the lyrics? It was, <laughs> you know, when a when a tenor sings and they're they're flat or they're sharp, it's it's bad. When a when a soprano does it though, it hurts. So 
She was actually known as the tone deaf diva. Uh, another, like people called her the, uh, the terror of the high seas, the high sea being C note, you know. So um, here's the crazy thing about this lady. She thought she was good. And you know why she thought she was good? Because she had convinced herself that she was a good singer and people would line up around the blocks to buy tickets to come and hear her sing. Obviously because it was so good, right? No, no, no. They wanted to go and make fun of her and laugh and say, I went and saw Florence sing. It was so good. <laughs> she took their excitement to be this enthusiasm for great music. Like she, she had convinced herself that everyone just loved her music and she was completely dumb. Like, it's like those people in American Idol when they go in there like, you don't, you don't have any friends? They have one friend that would be like, hey, you're really bad at this. Like, don't do it. People say, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you're sincere. That's not true. That's not true at all. Because it, it absolutely matters that you believe what is true. Truth. Because your belief has to match reality. If your belief doesn't match reality, then it's laughable. It's, it's just, it's delusion. It's, it's, uh, it's like blind religion or self-deception. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day were completely self-deceived. They thought that they had their God bases covered and they were clean so they could go into the Passover and they would be perfectly fine. But here, right in front of them, is the perfect Passover lamb. So I'd ask you, why do you do the religious things that you do? All of you do religious things. I mean, everyone's at church right now. So that's a religious thing. Why, why is it that you pray? Why do you, why do you read your, your devotional? Why, why, do you, like, why do you take communion? Why do you tithe? Why do you do the things you do? They're, look, they're all important things, and you should do them, as long as those things are drawing you closer to the Lord and not becoming an obstacle to getting to the Lord. Because that's what the Pharisees like to do. Their religion actually set up obstacles so that people couldn't get to God. And you'll see later, the Pharisees are just so envious of Jesus because people were coming to God for real themselves. And so there's, there's just something inside of us that likes to do religious things. So I'd ask you, what, what do you do? Why do you do the religious things you do? Is it just habit? Is it tradition? Like, what is it, what is it that's drawing you to these things? God didn't make you to, to be religious he made you to be in relationship with him. He made you to know him. There can be value in religious things, and religious things aren't bad in and of themselves. Doing religious things are can be very good. But you can also miss the whole point by holding on to your religious things. You can you can you can become like the Pharisees very, very easily. Have you ever seen that in yourself? You become like a Pharisee? No, not y'all. I mean I'm talking to the people that are listening to the podcast, not y'all. I can see it in myself sometimes, but I'll become like, no, no, you have to do it this way. And I think, why do you have to do it this way? The Bible doesn't say that. That's my tradition. Huh. A lot of people will put tradition here and the word of God here. And it shouldn't be like that. If your tradition or your denomination or the way that your family does it, if it does not line up with the word of God, Change the tradition. Change your opinion. Change what you do. Because everything should line up with the Word of God. Right? I know y'all believe me, even if you don't, amen. 
I know you amen low, thank you. But he's getting mad. I did amen. <laughs> Jerk. <clears throat> Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Because, you know, they're all about following the law, right? Remember Acts chapter 7 when Stephen, what did they do to Stephen? You remember? They stoned him. So while it's tech, in, in, uh, in AD 30, the Roman government took away the Jews' right to stone people to death. Even though it was their religious law, they, they took their right away. Like, hey, you guys can't be killing people. Okay, that's our job. So um, they, they decided to not let them do that anymore. And so it, technically, they're right. They're not allowed to do it. Um, but I don't know if you know this, but back in biblical times, religious people would interpret the rules to satisfy their desired outcome. It used to be like this. Not anymore. Religious people have really learned. They will. It's like interpreting the Constitution based on what you want the law to be. Or, and you, you yourself will interpret a rule and be like, yeah, but I know why the, the spirit of the rule is this, so I'm just going to follow what I think the spirit of the rule is. And you're like, not me? Right now you're thinking, I don't do that. You see, you don't speed. You follow the speed limit everywhere you go. Y'all lie. Y'all lie. You're lying in church. It's a special kind of sin. <laughs> so here's, here's why this matters. If the Jews had been allowed to stone Jesus, that would involve breaking bones. And there are prophecies about the Messiah that said that none of his bones will be broken. In Numbers chapter 9 and in Psalm 34, there are these prophecies that say that, that none of the bones of the, of the Messiah will be broken. And so Jesus said over and over that he would be crucified. And here we have, we can see, look, they, they, they said we can't do it. He has to die a different way. Well, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. So then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? So Jesus is on trial, but Pilate's on trial too. Pilate, he has to answer. He's like, so what do you think about me? Yeah, and we all are on trial. We all have to answer. What do we really think about Jesus? And, and I think most of you in here, have at some point made a decision to follow Christ. So you're a Christian. I still want to know, what is it that you really believe about Jesus? What do you really believe? When it comes down to it, nobody else is around. What do you really believe about Jesus? Does your life line up with Jesus? You're going to say yes because the pastor asked you. What about the things that you don't want me to know about? The things you won't talk to the pastor about because you're ashamed. Do those things line up with Jesus? No, because then you wouldn't, you would talk to me about them. That's where we, we're all on trial at some point. Like you're, you're the, you've been sentenced to life, eternal life. That's you, you get, you're free from, you're free from death. However, that's not the end of it. You're still working out your salvation. You're still working at laying the things down that are you and only picking up the things that are him, right? That's part of the process. So, um, 
He goes on. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Pilate knows about offending the Jews because he has done it many, many times. He's a politician. He is many times he's offended the Jews. Do you know I have friends that are actually Jewish, like like hardcore Torah following Jews, like and they are exactly like these people in the Bible that I read about. They are hard headed, hard headed, like just you can't convince them of anything. Great businessmen that I know. And so I, I've told them too, like, hey, I've read about your people. And I don't say you people because that's racist, but I said I read about your people and they are the same. Like y'all have been the same for a very, very, very long time. And so Pilate knows about it. So he says, so, okay, what'd you do to make them mad? Because I make them mad too. What'd you do to make them mad? What Pilate knew in, in Matthew 27, Pilate knew that the reason they gave Jesus to him is because of envy. They were just envious of Jesus because Jesus is now getting a following that used to be theirs. People are like, wait a minute. This guy seems legit. This guy seems real. He's speaking with authority that you guys don't have. Like he's, he's speaking the truth and making God approachable to us. And you guys are making us jump through hoops. And so they were very envious. They were jealous. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight like Peter with the sword. So that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus is not a, a real threat to Pilate. Jesus is not a real threat to the Roman Empire. He is a threat to all empires. Jesus is a threat to every, every single thing that would ever come against a single word of God. So he's a threat, all right. But his kingdom doesn't come about by provoking rebellion against men, but by provoking submission to God. His kingdom doesn't come about by, by acts of violence toward people. It comes about by acts of submission to him. It's like a new birth. In order to become the, the greatest among you, have to become a servant. Everything's flipped upside down. In order to be, the, to be first, you have to be last. It makes absolutely no sense. And when it doesn't make any sense, any earthly sense, that's how you can know it makes sense in the kingdom. Because the, the, the people of the earth think it's one way, but not so among you. Among you, it will be different. Among you, you will, you will serve and love one another. And that's how people will know that you belong to me, right? 37, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you rightly say that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. There is absolutely no place in all of Scripture where Jesus so succinctly says exactly why he came. He said, I came to testify to the truth. That is so simple. Truth is the essence of what Jesus' kingdom is all about. His entire ministry has been about exposing the truth. And over and over he says, like when he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, if you were King James people, King James people in here, like he says, truly, truly, I say to you. Or, hey, hey, listen, listen up. Or in my version, he's like, hey, hey, listen, this is important. And he says, hey, I, I, 25 times in the Gospel of John, he says, hey, let me listen here. This is something important. I say to you that I've come to testify to the truth. We live in a world that is increasingly growing further about caring about objective and rational truth. The, the culture that we live in has phrases like your truth, 
my truth. I'm going to live by my truth. Like, you don't have a truth. Like, truth is truth. No matter what you believe, no matter how you feel, truth is truth, right? Are you all with me on this? We have this confusion about gender. People, we, people think that, um, like, their lived experience is actually truth. Because what I, my lived experience says this is true. Well, your lived experience isn't truth. Well, this is my truth. I'm going to live out this truth. That's not how truth works. Truth is true no matter what. No matter what happens. Even if it goes, it seems like it's contrary to what actually happened. Truth is truth. There's truth in, um, like, accountability. There should be accountability for your actions. The truth is, you if you do something wrong, there is consequences for that. Whether you have those consequences here on earth or whether you have those consequences later, there are consequences to to bad things that happen, right? Unless you're in California, there's consequences if you steal stuff, okay? <laughs> did y'all, hey, did y'all see this? Look, it's nothing to do with sermon, okay? This week, Gavin Newsom was being interviewed. Don't, don't grunt when I say Gavin Newsom. Calm down. If you don't know, Gavin Newsom's the governor of California. Stop it. So Gavin Newsom says, he's, he's, uh, he's on this like Zoom call and he says, he says, hey, look, I was at a store and these people were walking out with stuff, and the cashier says to me, oh, they're just stealing that stuff. And he says, well, go get them. And, they were, and the person says to Gavin Newsom, no, the governor made it to where they, <laughs> the governor made it to where there's no consequence for them. If it's less than $1,000, they can take whatever they want. And he says, no, he didn't. <laughs> What's funny to me is how just oblivious Gavin Newsom was because he's bragging about this story even though that is the truth of what happens, if it's less than $1,000, they can, you can pretty much do anything you want. Like, when I was in California, I wanted to just steal something from Target. <laughs> not because I wanted a thing. I just wanted to say that I did it. Like, that's all. I, I'm not always a pastor, okay? <laughs> I, just, I wouldn't steal anything. It's still, hey, stealing's still wrong no matter what the law says. We know that, right? Okay, so... Um, the Bible says that for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There are giant churches in America that have exactly this going on. And I'm not trying to bash. I think that those people start out at a church just like this one and somehow they lose their way i have people around me that will prevent me from doing that i have people that literally will kill me <laughs> y'all are laughing they will kill me if i if i try to stray and as a matter of fact if i say something this happens routinely that i say something that they're like well i'm not sure if that's true they'll tell me randy at lifechurchnb.com you have any questions you want to know if you have hey, if you want to comment on the sermon you have something bad to say it's fun it's fun i will respond to you every one of you so truth does not equal what feels good truth is truth as a matter of fact feelings have absolutely nothing to do with truth jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free and he said this in context and the context is you will know the truth about sin, and when you know the truth about sin, that will set you free. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Sometimes the truth hurts. 
Sometimes, look, you'll, you'll make an excuse for why you did the thing you did, even when you know that it's wrong. Have you ever been married? <clears throat> if you have, you know what I'm talking about. You will defend, once you realize you're wrong, men, usually, like, just say I was wrong. Like, you're not going to win the argument. Have you, think about it. Think about it. Have you ever won an argument? Like, what, you, you know what it looks like? This might bother you a little bit. You know what it looks like to win an argument, men? You know what it looks like to win an argument with your spouse? She lost. Do you want to make her lose? Like, do you really want, in the end, do you really want to hurt her so bad that she lost? Just shut up and say, yep, I was wrong. Trust me, I'm still learning this. I've been married almost 28 years. I've been married. I don't know how she does it either. Sometimes the truth is just saying I'm wrong. Like, hey, yeah, you know what? I'm wrong. Sometimes the truth is hey, I'm a sinner. I've, I'm, I've messed up. I'm going to repent right now. And I'm going to turn away from this because I know that I should not. Sometimes you'll realize the truth about your tradition, your denomination, your family. And you'll be like, uh-oh, I got to change this right now. I have to, I have to alter the course of the future of my life because the truth changes us. When the truth hits you, it will change you. Someone that embraces the truth 100% will come to the realization that Jesus is the only way to God. For I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Every person that embraces truth will come to this realization that Jesus is the only way. And he's not just the only way to the Father. He's the only way to truth. In every area of your life, he's the only way to get to that truth. <clears throat> Verse 38, he says, what is truth? Pilate said to him, what is truth? And, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in this. We don't know how Pilate actually said this. He, we don't know if it was like uh, philosophical cynicism where he's like, what is truth? Nobody tells the truth anymore. Like, what is truth? It doesn't really matter. Jesus said, I, I'll bear witness to the truth. And maybe, maybe, maybe Pilate didn't like the way that Jesus answered when he said that. Like, I'll bear witness to truth. What does that even mean? Like, what is truth? I, I, like, just give me a concrete answer. And so Pilate just kind of shrugs. The only one. Look, what is truth in all of history is the most important question that's ever been asked. Of anything that's ever been said, this is the most important question. What is truth? And of all the people that have ever walked the earth, there's only been one person qualified to answer that rightfully. Pilate asked the most important question to the most important person. And then what does Pilate do? He's like, what is truth? And it just doesn't even wait for the answer. Come on. Like he just kind of shrugs it off. What is truth? If he had stopped and listened, the Bible could have been way different. All of eternity could have been way different for more people had Pilate just kind of waited and said, all right, what is truth? Tell me. You know. You should ask Jesus in every area of your life, what is truth? Because I'm willing to bet if you do, you'll find a whole nother level to the thing that you're doing. Even if you're already doing something good for God, God, Jesus, what is truth here? What is the reason you've called me to these people? 
What is the reason you've called me to this job? Why do you have me in this family? Because these people are weird. Like, why am I here? Jesus, tell me the truth. And if you'll listen, I'm telling you, you'll find a whole nother level. So the last part, he says, I find no fault in him. You could make a case here that Pilate should have let him go right there. I find no fault in him. He's, he has done nothing wrong. This is a prophetic statement. Even though Pilate is not a Jew, he's not a person that has any interaction with God. As a matter of fact, he is being controlled by demonic forces. And he and and they still, what's crazy is, even though Pilate says the words, I find no fault in him, the evil forces are still going to go on with their plan because they still don't get what God is actually doing. Because God is actually making making a way for all of humanity to be redeemed. But and the and the evil doesn't understand that yet. The Bible says that. So he says, I find no fault in him from the very mouth of the leader of the land. In Exodus 12, 5, if you remember, the, the lamb that they slayed, they, that was slain, that was uh, the blood they put on the doorpost, had to be perfect. Your lamb shall be without blemish, the male the fir- of the first year. So you could make a case that Jesus, prophetically speaking, Pilate prophetically speaking, says, look, this is the perfect lamb. This is the one, the only one that could be sacrificed. But you, but Pilate didn't do that. And you know why Pilate didn't do that? Because he's a politician. And they have to follow their political things. So he comes out in front of the people and he's like, look, I find no fault with you, but let me, let me go talk to the people. They said, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He's trying to pass the buck, which is what Pilate does over and over. He's trying to, to go over the heads of the religious leaders who he knew was in, were envious of him. And, and he's trying to go to the crowd so that the crowd will say, release Jesus to us. But the problem is people don't always do what you expect them to do. And, and the, the high priest, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, they knew what was going to happen. So they had gone before and, they, and the high priests and elders in Matthew 27, it says the, the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Here's Pilate passing the buck. He doesn't want to answer it. He doesn't want to do the thing. We don't pass the buck, do we? No, every time there's a decision that we have to make, the hard decision, we're like, let me do the hard decision. I can't wait. I'm going to do what's right no matter what. Every one of us that's Christians, we've said, I'm just going to do the right thing no matter what. And then you have to do the right thing and that there's going to be consequences to doing the right thing. Because not everyone wants you to do the right thing. So there's consequences to doing the right thing. We don't want to face the consequences that come from making tough decisions. So even though we have the ability to make the, the hard choice, instead we look to someone else to make the choice for us. Like Pilate's doing here. He's like going to the crowd. You have no guarantee that the other person is going to do when you pass the buck that they're going to do the right thing. They're going to do what, is, what they're supposed to do. The one that you, the, 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 and make the decision that you, you should be making. So Pilate will again try to pass the buck. And uh, Luke records that Pilate actually sends Jesus to Herod because he doesn't want to make the decision about Jesus. He found no fault in Jesus. Jesus is innocent. And so he sends him to Herod. And what does Herod do? Herod dresses him up like in a robe and he mocks him and he sends him back to Pilate for a second time. So what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? I'm not asking you if you will respond to Jesus. Most of you in here have responded to Jesus. Most of you in here have at some point come into a relationship with Jesus and you said, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. 
Most of you have done that. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean what are you going to do with Jesus? That doesn't answer fully what you, If that's the only thing you've done with Jesus, then you're in trouble, mister. Like you're in a bad spot. Because what you do with Jesus on Sunday afternoon is different than what you do with Jesus on Friday night. Not y'all. I mean, the people listening on the podcast again. Like what you do with Jesus what, when you're at work, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to actually live for him? You're going to actually seek the truth for what he's calling you to do? What are you going to do with Jesus when you're in the club? I said that in first service. I'm like, we don't go to no clubs. Like the early people don't go to clubs, okay? <laughs> Some of y'all, though. Like what What are you going to do with Jesus? The, you, you, you can't look to the crowd because the crowd will tell you to do the easy thing. Always the crowd's going to say, no, 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 no. You're, you're a freak. Like stop being one of those Jesus freaks and just, like that's not how, look, we're not trying to live to the standard of American Christianity. Okay? We're trying to live to the standard of the Bible. And that's going to continue to be very difficult and it's going to increasingly become more and more difficult. So what the crowd does is the crowd asks for Barabbas. They don't want Jesus. They want Barabbas. So you need to be careful about looking to religious leaders, myself included, for the answers. I tell you, everything I say, you test it against the word. And where you find that it doesn't line up with the word, come and talk to me. And I'll tell you why I think it does. And we can, we can end up in a disagreement. It's fun. I'll kick you out of this church. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not kicking anyone out. But if you look at, in this story, the religious leaders are the ones influencing the crowd. They're the ones telling the crowd, hey, hey, let's get Barabbas. We don't want Jesus. Let's, let's have them kill Jesus. So you have to make the decision. You have to make the tough, consequence-invoking decision to do what is right no matter what. Amen? So in verse 40, the, at the end of the chapter, it says, Then they, then they all cried again, saying, uh, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was not this petty thief. Barabbas was, Peter said um, in Acts 3, that Barabbas was a murderer. So Barabbas was a bad dude. Here was this man, worthy of death, suddenly being released because another man, an innocent man, takes his place on a Roman cross. Like Barabbas, I too am a sinner. For all the sin that falls short of the glory of God, we know that. Like Barabbas, I too am worthy. I have earned my death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And like Barabbas, Jesus took my place. Even though I didn't deserve it, Jesus took my place. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Whenever I say, will you give your life to Jesus? I'm asking you, I'm not asking you, will you die for him? Yes, the answer is yes, you will. I'm asking you, will you live for him? Will you live in every area of your life, laying down the things you want, laying down the comforts, laying down the liberties, and doing everything you can to glorify him, Nothing glorifies him more than you leading a center to repentance. But if your life looks like everybody else's life, why would someone come to you and say, how is it that you have joy and peace when everybody else doesn't? 
Will you give your life to Jesus? Will you go forward with him? Will you make the right decision or will you pass the buck? Or will you listen to the crowd? Or will you do the easy thing? No one's going to know. It's just me. No one's going to find out. It's just me. Oh, he'll know. And probably what's worse, you'll know. Are you still believing in him for everything? Jesus, we thank you so much that you are so good. We thank you that, uh, that you took our place, the place that we earned. You took it and you, you, you died so that we could be in the presence of a holy and loving God. We thank you that, uh, that you continue to just send more and more people to come alongside of us and, um, and Lord, where there are people in our lives that are disenfranchised with the church or that are disenchanted with you and your word, we ask that you would help us to be able to reignite that flame so that they would, would know you in a way that they never have before that they would know you in a way that draws them to you, to a close relationship with you, whether it means coming to church or whether it means they don't. Or what we want to do is glorify you in everything. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.